Hi, and welcome to another episode of A Shot Glass of Recovery with your host, Julie, half of the dynamic duo that brings you the podcast, Two Sober Chicks. Hello from American soil, y'all. Oh, I'm so happy to be here. Um, so I am currently in Nashville, Tennessee, and I am, I, it feels like home. I absolutely love this state. I love the South. I love, I even just said that like an American. I didn't say South, like, um, like Canadians, I said South. Um, I couldn't be more joyful. It just feels like home to me here. Despite all of the people in Canada telling me that this is the most COVID infected nation, especially Nashville. Look, I'm not worried. Don't worry about it. You can be responsible, but you can also be not fearful. And I choose to be not fearful and be responsible at the same time. So um, today's podcast comes to you from my heartmate Lisa's idea. She in our girls chat today said, um, this June was AA's 85th birthday. Can you imagine? And she said that she had some topic suggestions as suggested by the language of the heart in the grapevine that she would bring up at a meeting. And there was five questions. Question one, have you ever been touched by someone's share? How did it impact you or how did you implement their suggestions? I remember the first time I identified with a woman in AA, and it was very early on in my recovery. My first meeting, I identified with what the book said and fellow AA members sharing on what it is like to be an alcoholic, which is booze aside, alcoholism is a personality problem because it talks about our spiritual awakening Um brings about change sufficient to recovery in in I'm I'm uh what are the words I'm mashing it up right now that is not verbatim but it talks about it's the personality change from a spiritual experience that gives us a sufficient chance at recovery so alcoholism is about the personality alcohol is not really the problem it's the alcoholism And if you have any questions about what that is, I do have a page here of where to look for that in the big book now that I think about it. I was just looking at it. Um, What on more about alcoholism on page 31, the question is, are you any of those things? Let me grab my little big book on my bedside table here. Okay, so more about alcoholism, page 31. What that is referring to is this. Here are some of the methods we have tried. Wait, why does it say, are you any of those things? I'm just looking here. Mm -mm -mm, I should have an interlude. Okay, so I'm a little confused. Let me look at page 52. I wonder if this is an old edition of the big book. Okay, I'm going to pause this and find it. Hang on one second.
All right, we're back. Okay, so I found it. Um, so on page 52, it talks about we were having trouble with personal relationships. We couldn't control our emotional natures. We were a prey to misery and depression. We couldn't make a living. We had a feeling of uselessness. We were full of fear. We were unhappy. We couldn't seem to be of real help to other people. Was not a basic solution of these bedevilments more important than whether we should see newsreels of lunar flight? Is talking about proof. So that is a really good description of what it's like to be an alcoholic. It's a, it's a personality problem. It's a perspective problem. In chapter 4 on page 44 in We Agnostics, it's a great diagnosis of an alcoholic. If when you honestly want to, you find you cannot quit entirely, or if when drinking, you have little control over the amount you take, you are probably alcoholic. And then when I was talking about do you identify with any of these things on page 31, so we're actually going backwards in all these readings, in chapter 3 on more about alcoholism, here are the, some of the methods we have tried. Drinking beer only. Limiting the number of drinks. Never drinking alone. Never drinking in the morning. Drinking only at home. Never having it in the house. Never drinking during business hours. Drinking only at parties. Switching from scotch to brandy. Drinking only natural wines. Agreeing to resign if ever drunk on the job. Taking a trip. Not taking a trip. Swearing off forever with and without a solemn oath. Taking more physical exercise. Reading inspirational books. Going to health farms and sanitariums. Accepting voluntary commitment to asylums. We could increase the list ad infinitum. Identify with that. That is an alcoholic. People that don't have these problems don't struggle with alcoholism. And you can be a heavy drinker and not be an alcoholic, but that's a whole other podcast. So anyways, I identified with the book and with the shares at my first meeting. My second meeting, there was a man that spoke and he said he was nine months sober. And my first thought was, he's a fucking liar. There's no way because if he's saying that he is what I am and he has not had a drink for nine months, he's lying because I couldn't possibly identify with that. I think it was my third meeting. I was at the home group that I had chosen here in Toronto. Uh, I'm no longer a member there, but I was at the shepherd group where I was for a long time. And a woman, a very beautiful black woman stood up and she was a crown attorney and she talked, and she was she was a very beautiful, high-functioning alcoholic who told my story. And I believed her. And I thought, if she can do it, keeping her shit together on the outside, being a very strong woman, knowing that it has nothing to do with willpower, um, then I can do it. And I went up to her after the meeting, and I said to her, You're, you've told my story. I, and it was a different a different job, a different upbringing, a different color, a different age. But her experience was something I identified with and I believed it when she told me. So when Lisa posed that question in the girls chat today, have you ever been touched by someone's share? How did it impact you or how did you implement their suggestions? It impacted me because I thought if she can do it, I can do it. And I remember one time seeing a quote like, if the only reason you're getting sober is to show other women they can do it, that's a good enough reason. Now we should never get sober for other people, but sometimes we think it's so hard but we will take it on if we think it might help someone else. And in our promises, it talks about no matter how far down the scale we have gone, we will see how our experience can benefit others. That is, a, that is exactly what that's referring to. 
Number two, has a sponsor ever told you something you will never forget? What came to me during this was something that I had a really intense craving. Oh, wow. What a remember when? When I was in my first six months of sobriety, was it? It was in the first year, I would say. I think it was after my one year. Still the same sponsor that I had when I chose her at five months. And um, I had not been triggered often. I had had a really intense craving at four months sober at my first sober Thanksgiving. And I don't remember if I reached out to her. But anyways, my husband and I were separated at the time. Husband, ex-husband. And he went away on business. And at that point in our separation, I was staying at the house while he was away to take care of our dog. And I remember he called me and he said, uh, I've removed all the booze from the house, which infuriated me because he never removed all the booze from the house after I got sober. So one year later, for some reason, the vodka that's always in the freezer and the half open bottles of wine in the fridge and the wine cellar downstairs like dude seriously is what I thought I've been sober for over a year and I've never had a problem and now suddenly you remove all the alcohol well I went into the house and I had the worst craving of my recovery of my sobriety and I panicked and because I I knew it wasn't there but I went looking for it and so I called my sponsor and she said drink a glass of orange juice and I was like are you fucking kidding me? I'm having the worst craving of my sobriety to date. And you told me to drink a glass of orange juice. She's like, yep, and call me in 30 minutes. And I went and I drank a glass of orange juice. And when I called her in 30 minutes, guess what? I wasn't craving alcohol anymore. Sometimes we get thirsty. Like, and I mean that literally. Sometimes we get thirsty and our brain is like, I'm thirsty, let's have some alcohol. Or maybe even the mere suggestion that he had taken it out had activated something in me. Whatever the case is, sometimes we just need sugar, sometimes we just need hydration. Knowing that cravings don't last for hours. They don't, can, you may have several cravings an hour, but a craving will burn itself out. Just like a feeling will. So when you have a craving or a compulsion or an obsession, come up with, my sponsor says, come up with like a note card of like a uh, obsession plan or a craving plan. Like if you're having a craving, step one, call your sponsor. If after you talk to your sponsor, it doesn't work, step two, call another person. If the craving still doesn't go or the compulsion or the obsession, whatever you want to call it, because craving sounds pretty light for what it actually feels like. Step three, go for a run. If it's still there after that, step four, be of service to someone. That's a great one. Call a still struggling alcoholic. Call anybody else in the program. If that's not working, step five, like you just keep going down the list because your cravings will burn out. So when that question, and I haven't prepared these answers, I'm just looking at them. And the reason I do that is not because I'm super smart and I'm good on the ball. I just surrender it all to God and speak from my heart. And hopefully you can feel the sincerity and vulnerability that comes from that. Step, oh, question three. Have you been moved by helping someone through the steps? Um... Every time I help someone through the steps, my program gets stronger. I'm not just moved. I get better. A gift of a sponsee is almost like 
God saying, you need to up your game, sweetheart. It's time. It's like they're in service to me. And sometimes it is a lot. You know, I have more than a few sponsees and I talk to a couple of them like every day, but half of them regularly. But it's always, I always say something that I need to hear for me. And I need to hear from my sisters in sobriety and I need to hear their struggles and I need to hear their honesty no matter how ugly it is because that is what makes it. When you've done something like you drunk drove or you drank something you shouldn't drink or just the the most shameful things that these women share with me make me stronger and make me better and make me respect them so much more because... I don't know if I have the balls to be that honest, which is why I'm glad that I hopefully don't have another relapse in me because I don't know where I would be. So the gift of a sponsee to me, all of them, any of them that allow me the honor to walk alongside them in the program makes me better. Four, has an old timer ever comforted you with a word or two or a slogan? Um, I don't want to say anything's comforted me, but there is one significant thing that stands out from an old timer that was in my home group who's no longer with us. And she said, you know, Julie, you're a really great girl, but we know nothing about you. So we need to get to know you as a group. And that changed how I did the slogans in any meeting. I don't just say, um, okay, uh, what's a good slogan? You are no longer alone. I no longer say, you are no longer alone means this to me. And at my first meeting, this is what it meant to me and this is how I practice it. I will give an actual concrete example of what just happened in my life. So I think the last time I shared, I was like, you are no longer alone. I said, you know, this week I confided to my bestie something which I didn't want to discuss with her, which was that I was giving a, an ex-boyfriend another chance. And in me finally divulging something which made me feel shameful like how can I be a proponent for strong women when I can't even follow my own advice of going after men that don't know my worth or value Um, then who am I like I'm worth nothing and you know and then the no you are no longer alone part was once I actually brought her into the problem with me or into the statement I felt stronger not weaker And I was able to receive unconditional love and support and it made me feel less isolated and like I was keeping a secret. And so once I started doing that, telling an honest, vulnerable story about something, my group, all of a sudden people would come up to me and thank me for my share and tell me the identified, like that's the shit that matters, the me too moment. And I can get up there and be a philosopher on what it means to me and how I practice it. But everything's about application. I'm learning that in seminary as a pastor. You can preach a great message and it can be like bang on with theology. But if you don't give an application or how it relates to you or how the average person can relate to it as a believer, it's worth nothing, in my opinion. Last one. Five, has an amend changed your life? So what I will say is if you've been listening recently, you know that I have reestablished a very beautiful relationship with my ex-husband. I used to keep him very separate and it wasn't just boundaries, it was walls. Boundaries keep you safe, walls keep people out. I kept him out for my own protection and safety and it was a good thing at the time. Like I haven't made a mistake over that. It's just that things have changed as they do and we can change our minds and we can change things. So I became willing to make an amend to him that I never made, which was when I had my affairs. 
And just by the willingness to make that amend, oh my gosh, I'm sorry, my garage band's acting up. Ignore. I'll erase that later. My jingle's coming back on. After just being willing to make that amend to him, it changed me inside. It made me more open and receptive and it healed me. And even though I haven't made that amend because it did, it was not appropriate in that conversation we had, it's almost like I became willing and God went, okay, sister, you, that's all I needed from you. You actually don't have to make the amend. You just have to be willing to make the amend. Once I opened my heart, I felt relieved by the burden that I had been keeping those awful secrets for the last 12 years. So that's what comes to mind when I read that one about amends. Anywho, I hope you enjoyed this podcast no matter where you're listening from. Thank you if you are tuning into this. Time is our most precious commodity and I do not take that for granted. So if you've spent this last 17 and 5 seconds with me, I am so grateful to you and I appreciate you. As usual, if you need to reach me or Lisa, you can email us at the number 2 soberchicks at gmail.com or you can find us on Twitter and Instagram and yes, we check our DMs at 2soberchicks. Stay, would you? That way you don't have to come back.